Welcome back to Pathways to Resilience. I'm Melissa Santos and appreciate you uh, listening in today. I am happy to introduce you to Alex. Uh, my guest today is a 20-year-old college student, cat lover, and aspiring teacher. He works with other LGBTQ plus young people as they build connections and community Alex loves to share their story, hoping it can make other young people feel less alone and inspire adult allies to take positive action. And uh, we're featuring Alex this month, really with the hope of, of focusing on the youth experience, specifically trans youth experience, since it's such a tender, scary, sort of historic time in our country specifically for that population. Um, so Alex, thanks for being with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with you telling us about your, so, so yourself. And we met you through your role at the youth space. So maybe a little bit about your role there and what youth space um, is. Yeah, so um, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Um, the labels that I use to describe myself are uh, transmasculine, non-binary and pansexual. So for folks who haven't heard those terms or aren't necessarily familiar with them, um, so I use transmasculine um, basically as, you can think of it almost as like a, a subcategory or a different flavor of um, trans uh, transgender. So basically means I was assigned female at birth, um, that's not how I identify. Um, and I use the I use both transmasculine and non-binary to kind of convey the idea of my gender is more masculine, but I also don't necessarily identify as a trans man, just because okay, yeah. I, I find the gender binary of man and woman limiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think sometimes folks have an idea that non-binary is like you have to be this perfect like 50-50 yin-yang split of like masculinity and femininity um, and that's not true. Uh, non-binary folks can look, act, present all different types of ways um, and then I use the term pansexual to refer to my um orientation and that's separate than my gender mm -hmm. um it just means that I'm attracted to folks regardless of how they identify gender wise and then being neurodivergent and Asian American are also important parts of my identity um I'll, that I can get to later and before I talk about my um my role at the youth space I wanted to give a kind of little disclaimer that I think I want to make it clear that um, our the the LGBTQ community is such a diverse group of people and there's no one kind of trans experience or one queer experience and so that I can be here and share my story but I can't speak for anyone else. I don't want folks to take my story as kind of this example mm. or hold other people up against it to measure it because we're all so different I appreciate that I mean we could pick anybody with any identity markers right like uh, uh, we could say a, a female 
teacher from Wisconsin, right? And that's much more generalized. But I think just you saying that, that doesn't mean that every female teacher from Wisconsin has the same story as that guest. Um, We're not tokenizing you, right? This is about inviting you to share your story and your experience. And I just, I appreciate you describing your markers because I think, you know, for a lot of people, they don't, you know, it's the ignorance that gets to the hate and ignorance that gets to the misunderstanding. So I appreciate you making both, kind of clarifying both of those things as we start our conversation today, Alex. Yeah, for sure. I, I think also just in this particular moment in time, there's a lot of confusion and fear about mm-hmm what it means to be trans, um, what trans people are all about. Um, And I want to kind of try and break down those barriers and that confusion. So in terms of the youth space, I, my story with them begins um, when I was 13 and I had just kind of realized, oh, I'm not a girl. Um, Mm. And I, I found the label of trans and I was like okay I don't I'm not for sure like I haven't really figured out what my gender is but I know that I'm not cisgender I'm not a girl even though like uh, everyone in my life is seeing me that way yeah um and I and so I was looking for basically some support um some guidance and it's actually funny I I had this list of like local LGBTQ youth organizations and for whatever reason um the the LGBTQ youth space was on the top of that list and so I just picked it by chance um like they so, were first and so okay I'll try you yeah, yeah. Um, and it ended up being such a great fit that I've I remember like throughout high school every day like pretty much taking the bus down as like as soon as um the bell rang and I school was over like run over to the bus stop take the bus down because it was just such a such an amazing experience to meet other young people that were like me but also Mm -hmm. to meet trans adults who Mm -hmm. were thriving who were like kind of examples of what I could be I think it's we we don't have a lot of um role models I think in the media for trans adults who are just just living just doing their thing and especially like again in this moment in time I think it's it it can get I think there's this misconception sometimes that being trans is like a new thing but it's really not like um, trans people have always existed throughout history and just to be able to see and and grow really close with trans adults who kind of were on the other side of the fence and could help me along with my journey was so invaluable to me like I I I can't overstate it. It was literally life-saving to have that support. I'd, I'd imagine, you know, last month I spoke with um, Dr. Peter Goldblum, who is uh, sort of at the other end of, of life, but lived through all of the LGBTQ sort of activist rights to the 60s and talked about how 
when he finally could be with other gay people, as which which is what he, his term, he was able to unlearn the limiting beliefs that he had, which was that even though he knew he was gay, that the limiting beliefs he was told that he had was that he would never be able to find love and live, you know, have a relationship and live in a loving relationship, even though he wanted that and that he couldn't have a career. And then when he met people who were in long-term loving, you know, long-term or not, they were in loving relationships. They were living those relationships out loud and had successful careers. Like you're saying, it's not like, it doesn't mean like movie star, famous drag queen, like those things are all awesome too, but like just a normal, like, oh, I can be authentically me. People not only accept and can love me for that, feeling that must have been just a powerful in and of itself, but also like, you can just like have, like life can work out this way just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I meet people in the community who are younger than I am, I kind of like the one thing that I tell them is like, if you can like really try to find a place like that where you can be in community with others overall to the, the LGBTQ community has kind of figured out this. Um, well, it's not a secret, but something that I think sometimes other folks like struggle to grasp, which is growth and well-being and resilience uh, they don't happen when we're on our own, isolated from other people. I think right now we kind of live in an individualistic society. Mm-hmm. It's all about like, how can I, you know, reach my goals, kind of thinking of yourself as a lone actor. But in reality, like we can grow and become our best selves when we're in community um surrounded by other people and so that transformation kind of happened for me you know I I grew up um having this really almost like chosen family um Mm -hmm. where I could continuously return to um and just be unconditionally accepted and so that really was such a like valuable gift um and so pretty much from 13 until 19 I guess um I was you know hanging out there every day kind of really involved in the community um and so the the youth space does this peer internship program where each year they select someone that's on on the older side of the age range because the youth space serves um, LGBTQ young people ages 13 to 25. So they pick somebody who's kind of on the older side. um, And basically this person acts sort of as a mentor for other people, um, also gives input on like the programming and stuff like that. And really, it's it's a great program. It gave me the opportunity to see, like, that there's a whole career field and path out there um, for me doing this thing, which I already love to do. Like, even, mm-hmm. you know, outside of any, like, internship or any career thing, like, 
it's so rewarding and valuable for me to just be in community with other people that are like me. And so that's kind of the role that I've been playing um, up until a, a few months ago. Awesome. So you talked about being 13 when you first had the youth space on your list and the youth space could be any space throughout the country, right? We have people listening all throughout the country. And so like it's, you know, a space where youth can come and are with in community with people like, right. So I think that's one of the, the learnings in this idea of like inspiring adults, allies, like create those spaces, um, support those spaces, even if you're not of the LGBT community and don't utilize the space, like support and help build and be allies for those spaces. Um, how, how was the experience of not being seen so that prior to age 13, um, I imagine it wasn't just at 13 that you said, I'm not a girl. Um, but that the youth space, that space gave you like words and possibility around it. But how did it impact you before the age of 13 to not have the world see you the way that you saw yourself? Um, it was really interesting because I, throughout my life, I've kind of just, you know, as soon as I could talk and other people could hear my opinions, I was, I was very firm on um, how I wanted to present myself. I remember mm. uh, me and my mom would have arguments. Um, and the last time I ever like wore a dress uh, that was like the last time I ever wore a dress um was the last day of kindergarten and I I I just had this vague memory um that I know like we were both like arguing about it so much and it seems so silly now to like look back on it but I think my both my parents but really my mom had this idea of you know the child that they were gonna have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there was, there's just this tension, um, Mm -hmm. in, in many ways, like not just the, um, not just my gender identity, but also like, uh, my mom's side of the family is Japanese. And I would say that they value, like, they value conformity a bit more, Mm. um, in the sense of like, kind of just, being very polite to others um and trying not to do anything that's too like radical or that might upset people um and so my mom is the very is just she's extremely kind and generous um and she just cares a lot about other people's comfort yeah Um, and I have kind of always been a little bit more of a, a rebel, you could say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I can rule, relate to that. <laughs> a rule breaker. And my mm-hmm. mom is like the ultimate rule follower. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's like a experience that most kids can relate to, um, even if they don't necessarily have my labels, but just you, your parents have this one idea of how you're going to be. And then you are like, no, like I know who I am. And there's that clash. Like, I yeah. think just that's what we call adolescence is that. I think so clash. too. And, and you're, and you're speaking and then you're just bringing in the cultural norms that shape those 
expectations that our parents or whoever have, right? This idea of conformance and politeness and quietness. And then if you are this loud kid who's wanting to sort of push push the norm that that and and tell me if I'm wrong but I think because I think sometimes we can even like villainize parents and and sometimes parents are mean and not accepting and it's hurtful but in what you're talking about what I'm hearing is just like this kindness and generosity and love for you of like whoa 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 if you push it too much you might I'm worried about I'm worried about that for you and you're like I'm good man I'd rather be authentic than yeah that's exactly how it was. Like my parents never once um, said anything about not supporting me or not accepting me, loving me fully for who I was. It was always, how are other people going to see you? How are other people going to treat you? Yeah. Um, and like, especially with my mom, like I've come to realize that was her way of, of showing that she cared about me um, and wanted to protect me because she knew, like she knew once I identified as trans once I came out I was gonna face all this pushback and it was she just wanted to protect me from that but I think she um she had this idea that okay like I see the world out here is like super negative super scary like really hateful um and I have my kid here and I don't want my kid to be exposed to that so if I can just get my kid to kind of pretend or kind of suppress those uh, those tendencies that aren't accepted by society, maybe I can protect my kid. Yeah. But the, yeah. The thing my mom didn't realize is like it it was already happening. Like, like it's done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't yeah. you can't go back now. Like I'm. There was just, and you mentioned authenticity, which is like such a big value to me like being able to be myself is probably like the most important thing to me um Mm -hmm. because I've had so many experiences related to my gender but also not just of people seeing me a certain way or people really it's more people wanting me to be a certain way it's Mm -hmm. like more wishful Mm -hmm. thinking Mm -hmm. and I'm one of the things that I really the gift one of the gifts that I got from transitioning was really internalizing like it's worth it for me to be who I am even though I might get pushback because Mm -hmm. that that feeling of somebody seeing you and somebody recognizing you for who you really are is so much like it's worth all the negative comments um or the judgments and and I also have to like say that my experience has been very very positive um in terms of what trans kids go through like I've been very privileged um but you know even being at the youth space and just hearing people talk about what they've been through like not not everyone has supportive parents in fact like Probably I would say most of the people that I talked to didn't have supportive parents. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And while what I experienced was mostly like verbal kind of comments and things like it's, it's not always like that for like everyone, other people 
the abuse is is physical or sexual or just you know I've I I kind of try to use my more privileged position to advocate for others because just hearing the things that people my age are go like people that are basically like so similar to me mm. they're the same age as me they identify in the same way as me they live in the same geographical location like the only thing that's different is that I got to go through my life in this one way and this other person didn't have that they didn't have the mm-hmm. support from their family they didn't have the ability to um to start medical transition before they turn 18 and it's just some of the things I've heard that teenagers are going like have mm-hmm. gone through is just so it's so heavy it's so soul crushing honestly yeah yeah it's traumatic and it's tragic and it's unnecessary if we really were being more supportive and I thank you for naming that and also I I so resonate with the idea of um of talking about privilege and using that so and also this this the freedom that comes with living and being seen and being able to present as your authentic internal self. I'm 46. I just came out a year ago. So I, um, and, and I felt weird about that, about, uh, not that I feel weird about obviously coming out was actually, it was free. It's the most free I've ever felt in my life, but the privilege piece was hard for me. Cause I was like, okay, I'm a white female, you know, living like associate, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I have a good career. And on top of that, like I'm, I was, I'm not like a teen who had to, had to risk being kicked out of my house or, you know, I have, I'm able to take care of myself. And at the same time I'm dealing with, had to, you know, have my, have reactions from family and others, but I've, I already have my chosen family. Like I've, I already live in a place where I have that chosen family that just was like, Oh Yeah that makes complete sense. Are you like, be happy girl. And, um, anyway, I just resonated with that because authenticity is so important to me too. And I really thought that I was living authentically. And now I feel it, I can feel it in my like body, just how the, the like internal joy of like, really, I don't think there's anything else in there as far as identity markers that aren't, <laughs> that I'm not doing. I know there's lots of growth to happen. And so can just resonate with that. And um, and so happy and proud for, for people like you that don't have to wait till they're 46, but also know that, that, this, that everyone's story is different and that can come with so much, uh, pain and, um, and hardship that impacts one's mental wellness. So I, I too like struggle with anxiety and, um, or do I struggle with it? I, I have anxiety, I have an anxiety disorder and I take meds for it and it's managed and I go in and out of therapy, but I don't have anxiety because I'm queer. Um, and I'm not queer because I have anxiety. <laughs> I'm queer and I have anxiety. And I, we talked a lot about how those are so, all of our, your identities are so intersected and 
um, have having that you've seen any of us seen in that holistic way is so important to act, to, to, to have our well, mental wellness supported and not challenged. Yeah. And I think to being seen as your authentic self is like a base, like a foundational, you can't have mental wellness unless first the, per, you know, the, the, the people that you're in community with, which um, includes like providers and stuff, see you as you. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I also like, I really want to convey to people I ha- I'm I'm trans and I do have trauma around that, not around being trans, mm-hmm. but around the negative life experiences mm-hmm. I've had because people don't accept this like integral part of who I am. But mm-hmm. but I also have like mood disorders and stuff that's completely nothing to do with me being trans. Like um it's just and to if we also want to kind of add i've i've recently kind of taken this piece or this idea of generational trauma and applied it to my mm-hmm. own family because um, mm-hmm. on both sides um of my family um it's just there's so much there's so much trauma that it's almost become like kind of normalized mm-hmm. i forget mm-hmm. that you know, other people have grandparents and great grandparents that that weren't living through like genocides and yes. like it, it's just um and I think through that my my family has just had these cycles of kind of trauma and it kind of gets pass through Mm -hmm. um and 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 every everyone is just trying to do the best they can Mm -hmm. with the tools that they have trying to you know make a better life for the generations that come next Mm -hmm. um and but it's uh like I am in this position where I've kind of inherited this these dysfunctional patterns and I'm in mm-hmm. this place now of I can make the choice to do something different I can mm-hmm. I because of all the like work and pain that people my that my ancestors have done I'm now in this place where I can choose like to let go of the substance abuse and let go of the like constant arguing and let go of those things that like my like people in my family needed to survive and I I think you can approach that from a community um, mindset too like a lot of the the traumas that we have like say in the LGBTQ community like people did the best that they could in order to survive. And because that, uh, because of their perseverance and because of their tenacity and their will to, 
to fight and survive, not just for themselves, but for the people that they knew would come after them. Now we're mm-hmm. like, this generation is in a place where we're kind of at the precipice. We get to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, you just gave me we chills. Well, about. you just gave me chill. Oh, you, I mean, you are so incredibly wise. I feel like I want to talk to you. You need Ted talks. Um, you, because you're, you're hitting so many of my passion areas, but one that generational trauma is real and for people. And we, I've talked about it in some other, with some other guests, but this idea that like you inherited it, like it, you didn't, you inherit it and you don't even need to necessarily experience it, but because you have ancestors who survived things like genocide and their brains were reacting to that. The chemicals were going in their brains to literally live and literally be able to continue the species right, of humanity. Like that it's that, it's that sort of reptilian and those things in our epigenetics, in our brains get passed down just like eye color. And so for you to, I just, I, I, the wisdom you have about how multifaceted you are, which we all are, we all have all those pieces. And oftentimes if we don't have that understanding and a lot of people, they just don't have access to that understanding. We think what's wrong with us, or we think, Oh, it is because of this other thing. Or we just believe other people's stories of our own, ex- our own experience. And I just love what you're saying about, cause this goes to the more positive side of trauma, which are the protective factors, you know, and you've already described so many things you've had in your life that have likely helped you get to where you are right in this moment where you're able to even see a different way. You've had community, you've had love and support, you know, there's probably other things. So even though, and I have too, right? Like I have a lot, I have negative experiences, I have traumatic experiences that sit within me and certainly trauma that I've inherited, but I also had community of adults who cared about me and, you know, people outside of my family and within my family that showed me love and support and clubs and, you know, all these things that these outlets that let me see the world and bigger than myself. And then there's the moment of choice to decide, which is not easy Choice is the It's the work. (laughs) Here's who I am. Here's how I'm wired. Here's my instinctual way of reacting to the world or a situation how do I want to be, do I want to be intentional about, intentional about shifting the way I react to the world? And, and in, in turn, I shift my wiring and in turn, I shift that why it can, could shift that predisposed wiring for my children and their children. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's really big, really big, really cool stuff. Yeah. But I think um, like, yeah, like, because of just all those factors, I have mood disorders that are probably going to be lifelong. Mm-hmm. And just it's I, I've had so many, like therapists and psychiatrists, um, and even just like random people too, um, who think that my being trans and then my having mood disorders is like, has to be like, there has to be like, this really like they have to both be in some kind of like cause and effect relationship and it's like no I'm trans and I also have 
these mood disorders. And yes, negative experiences from me being trans can probably trigger or Mm -hmm. like bring up things. But it's also like, even if I lived in a society where trans non-binary and gender non-conforming people were just treated with respect, which is, is so, it's so sad that that's something that symbol isn't even happening. Yeah. 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 Um, But even if I lived in this like perfect utopia, I would probably still have these like mental health issues Mm -hmm. that, that brings up for me another, I think like misconception, which is, I think people kind of associate as well as they associate um, being trans with like young people also um the kind of the they they pathologize Mm -hmm. um being trans um like you you hear a lot about how like it's just like trans people are so unhappy and like blah 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 and it's like I, i there's a yes there's a link between being trans and like struggling with mental health and even suicide but it's not because be something in being trans just inherently gives you depression it's because like to be trans is like the fundamental struggle is I see myself in my authenticity and I need the world to see me in that same Mm -hmm. authenticity Mm -hmm. and it it kind of almost requires the ability to see things before they're even there. Mm-hmm. Like even when your external reality is saying, no, you're a girl. This is what your birth certificate said. This is like what bathroom you're supposed to use. This is what you're yep. supposed to wear to stand firm in your own, your own self identity and know that, no, this is who I am. And you can't like, convince me otherwise that's like I'm so grateful to be part of a community where that's like a kind of I I think that's one of our biggest strengths is Mm -hmm. just we because we've had to struggle um to get people to recognize us we're so kind of predisposed to see each other and to lift each other up because we can see each other Mm -hmm. in our own authenticity Mm -hmm. and we can experience like trans joy is such an important like you 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 kind of to to talk about the hardships and the pain and the struggle that our community faces without also addressing the fact that we have spaces that we have built where we can thrive, where we can be in community, where like, if like when the, those factors of people discriminating against us, oppressing us, like looking down on us, when you take that away, we are able to thrive and to be creative and to grow in incredible ways um it's not yeah, to be fully in your humanness the problem yeah i mean it, and it's it is like we're building this <laughs> i love this utopia that you're p- picturing because it's it it but this idea that 
as humans in our society, in our, in, and certainly in our country, in our culture, but beyond, we have overcomplicated. So we've created so many boxes and rules for conformity, right? Um, boy, girl, pink, blue, around gender, uh, man, woman, make a relationship. You should be married. Then you have children. Then you buy a house, like buy and, and I think when it's like a fish in a, in water, so many people are just living it and don't realize that if you came outside of it, like <laughs> we've done this, we've created this ourselves. Um, it's not authentic. <laughs> it's inauthentic. Um, and that the, what I'm hearing for you is just this echoing of like the fundamental problem is that we've created this fishbowl and we expect everyone else to, to just go along with it, even if the water's toxic. And there's people that are like, no, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in this toxic toxicity. I want to go, I want to go be fully me. And, um, and we just still live in a society where that is like, it feels threatening to people. Well, it is, it's threatening to capitalism. It's threatening to so many of the constructs of power and white privilege that are within our, within our, our, our society. Um, but again, I think if, if so, if more people could know, like, that's, what's being threatened, it's not you or your safety or this person and who they want to be. It's that, that people really bring living in their authentic, way that is against the societal norm is really all it's threatening is is power i think that there's this like fear because i've kind of encountered this idea that like if we are to live in this world where everyone is free to express their own gender and to be recognized correctly and fully in that gender that like cis people are their gender is somehow going to be erased or like we're going to steal your gender and it's like I I think we need to recognize that gender is just like an expression or at least Gen, in terms of gender identity and gender expression, mm-hmm. like on an individual mm-hmm. level, it's not like a pie. One person's <laughs> ability to be themselves and express, it's not like we're taking away. It's actually, right. we want to give you that as well. Even like right. cis people like are also hurt by like gender norms and gender normativity. Mm-hmm. Even like, even the like cis men who are violently sexist and transphobic, even mm-hmm. we we want to even give them the gift of you don't mm-hmm. have to be boxed into this limiting and honestly kind of patronizing definition of what it means to be a man. Yeah, like, that's got to be incredibly painful. Like not without condoning it. Like ugh, living with that amount of violence and anger is like that's that has to be painful yeah yeah and I I think like just something that I've kind of come to is like we can't do the same things that we're doing and and then expect to get a different result we can't add more pain on top of pain and expect that it's I, I think like what we're seeing with kind of trans people especially trans women and especially 
um, mm -hmm. trans young people uh, painted as this kind of like scary boogeyman hot mm -hmm. topic thing um we or a character like a like a yeah. yeah yeah like we've we've seen it before and this tendency of like we don't like people like that we're just going to push them away it never mm -hmm. works you <laughs> never get rid of those people you only create mm -mm. unnecessary pain and mm -hmm. hardship and it's like mm -hmm. I don't know I I think truly radical change starts when we start instead of coming from a place of like pain and anger and hurt like trying to treat ourselves and others with grace and compassion and really trying mm -hmm. to heal instead of just adding more and more and more like trauma and fear yeah and which means we have to get out of those trauma brains though right like if we're in those trauma responses we can't even access empathy and compassion and grace um and so creating spaces within community where there's we can, we can just start having conversations and appreciating, trying to appreciate. I mean, it's going back to the beautiful way you described your parents, described your mom, right? Like she was scared for someone she loved so deeply. Lots of things may, maybe, you know, could have been different or, but the, but the love came first. And then this, you had, you, you were able to separate the love from perhaps her wishes for you. And I think, and it's hard to value people's passion when it looks violent and, and mean. Um, but how do we see, get more curious with one another? Like, where is that instead of scared of each other? And, and having said that, I think people may or may not, you know, I know because it's in my feeds, but I often, I often, like you said, like, I live in my own bubble where people share are sharing and talking about these things, but that there are, like, I think it's over 500 now pieces of legislation um, out there against the trans community. Um, and, and certainly people see it through things like banned books or banning drag shows or bit, but that's not necessarily the trans community, you know, but, but I think when I asked you specifically getting back to trans youth, um, and we talked about this, I was so moved by you, your statement that trans young people are experiencing their very existence being debated. And now more than ever, where it's everywhere, right? Like a kid can't just go and scroll on whatever they scroll on now, right? Like Snapchat without, without seeing, seeing their own, their very existence being debated. And so what do queer young people need right now? I think just it's a fundamental human need to mm. for your existence to be accepted like just to know I have a right to exist the way I, like I'm lovable and I am deserving mm. of support just the way I am and mm. kind of the moment that we're in is kind of, is is trying to deny that for trans kids and I think one of the most radical acts of resistance that we can do is to talk to the the all the young people in our lives but especially trans young people and say I I see you as you are and I accept you and I love you like because again like you mentioned like 
when you have that foundation of unconditional love and support, then when we start, you know, tackling these topics, you you have somewhere to come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just generally listening to and taking direction from young people is something that I mean it's it's funny because I'm in this weird transitional stage of where I'm like technically still a young person but like also even just when I'm in community with other trans people even when I go to the youth space like it's it's shifted to where now I am on the older side of the mm-hmm. age demographic, like to, to a lot of people that I'm interacting with, like they being 20 is just so unfathomable. Mm. And it's mm. like a lot of like the people that I talk to are still like 13 or 15, still living with their parents that don't accept them. Mm-hmm. still like going to school and being misgendered and not being able to use mm-hmm. the correct bathroom and despite all that they come together they come to these seek out these spaces like the youth space and then they go okay how can I like how can I survive in my own life but then also how can we kind of build community with each other and you know some some folks are more prone to the activism side of like how do we make this change but some some people are just trying to like have a community to support them with the like the grief and the trauma that yeah. comes with yeah. navigating this existence where it's like people can hate you so much that they want you to not live mm-hmm. and they haven't even met you they don't even mm-hmm. know who you are at all like mm-hmm. that and just to be in a group of other young people that are experiencing that that know what you're going through and can hold space for you is like so so important but I think just like sometimes we can view young people as a a little bit not not helpless per se but because they I mean, socially, we don't give them as many rights. Um, Right. We view them as more incompetent, as not able to provide for themselves. But all the years that I've been in community with and like also just like around um, young people that are a part of this community, I'm continually struck by like these like these people don't need an adult to hold their hand. These people don't mm, need mm, somebody mm-hmm. to do it for them. They're mm-hmm. doing the work by themselves. Mm-hmm. And what they need is an adult to say, okay, I see you and I'm going to, I'm going to use the like tools and abilities that I have mm-hmm. at my disposal because I'm an adult to facilitate those spaces for you. But yep. I like it. Young people don't need us to come and rescue them. Like they already have, they know what they need. They know what they want and they know how to get it. And they're asking us to step up to the plate. And it's, I I think, just a matter of listening to them, seeing what they want 
and like advocating for them in the spaces where they are they they cannot be so like especially one of the more like devious things about um the assault on trans youth is like they have no power in the like political legislation Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. um and so really i think the people that are drafting these laws are kind of counting on that that adults Mm -hmm. are going to just turn a blind eye or to just pretend like nothing is happening Mm -hmm. and it's up to us as uh, as adults to to step up to challenge the people in our lives that maybe don't really understand or aren't as accepting um so that we can take the impetus off young people who are actively like struggling through these things to also have to be the one to educate and to like guide people through this because it is a learning process Mm -hmm. um but it's really I think like if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to just kind of sit down, young people like will take charge, will tell you what they need and Mm -hmm. what they want. And we, I think our job in this moment is kind of just to listen and let them lead the way. I, I mean, it's, I'm just always so impressed it's impressive and inspiring, isn't it? Just to, to see the power and the energy and this, and the skill and the passion and the, um, yeah, the wisdom that can come, uh, that, that exists, that just is. Yeah. I, I wonder, and you're kind of speaking of it, but I end every, um, every episode asking, um, my guest, what is resilience? So Alex, what is resilience? I, I, I think it's that, that quality of just being able to be authentic in a world that is trying to do everything in its power to not let you be authentic. Like Mm. to be able to stand up for what's right and sometimes that some days that's going to look like you know going out and making a speech or doing a process and some days that's going to be I got out of bed today Mm -hmm. I took a shower today those little acts of self-care and survival are radical acts of resistance in a world that wants you to not exist as your true self so, mm. and I, I, I do think too, there's something like you can't be resilient on your own, at least not to the full extent that you can be resilient when you're in community and like humans are social creatures. Like I, we weren't mm-hmm. meant to do this alone. We were meant Mm-mm. to be in relationships with other people. And I think a lot of us, um can find it hard to ask for support or to say you know like I don't think I can deal with this alone but really it's we weren't meant to like deal with everything alone to be the Mm -hmm. one person that has to like shoulder this burden like 
there's so much strength in reaching out to other people Mm -hmm. and there's so much strength on leaning on others because you know that eventually you're going to get to a place where people can lean on you I think that's like at the core of resilience yeah thank you this was um the hair stood up on my arm so many times you definitely got my sort of inner passions and 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 pride going and I just um I appreciate your wisdom and your words and um the gift of time that you gave me today so thanks for joining me thank you for having me Pathways to Resilience is brought to you by Community Solutions, a nonprofit organization in Santa Clara County, California. To learn more about our services and our CS Learning Training Institute, visit us at www.communitysolutions.org. Thanks for listening. And if you liked us, please feel free to subscribe or give us a review.